What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Raise the Geek podcast, where geek is all we speak. This week, we preview Resident Evil Infinite Darkness and do a deep dive into Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. And by we, I mean Chris. And Don. Let's go. Hey, welcome back. Raise the Geek Podcast. Another episode getting recorded. Don, I'm so tired because you and I decided to stay up all night playing Avengers. You did. How'd you feel about that? Were you dreaming about Avengers? Do you feel, do you get the itch? Is the itch there or is it still too many, too many issues with that game, man? Or did you wake up thinking about it? I kind of did. Yeah, dude. Yesterday, and what's up, Chris? How are you? Hey, yesterday, yesterday we uh, not only did we record our Loki episode, which should be out by the time you guys hear this for episode four of Loki. Afterwards, we decided to check on our wives, and both of them were um, on their way to bed. So we said, "Hey, man, we're still awake. Let's let's play some games." Uh, and yeah, we mixed in a little Avengers, a game we both beat uh, the single player campaign. So we've been dying to check out a little bit more we've dabbled into it a little bit dying to check out a little bit more of the multiplayer stuff and man i want to be a fan of this uh game really badly just because it features them them all the marvel characters we love all the avengers characters uh in a multiplayer setting and it just seems like it should be so fun but something about this game is still missing the mark to me mm-hmm. i totally un- i totally understand all the criticism the game got and why it um wasn't as successful as square had hoped and a lot of the criticism i feel is justified just something about the game when it comes to the multiplayer man just doesn't work as bad as i want it to uh i think this is one of those things where me and you are just trying to be like please just be good be fine let's find the good in this so we can enjoy it because man i want to i want it to be successful but i still had fun playing it with you like just some mindless button mashing, but just like the mechanics of the game and the way it's set up and all the ways to upgrade yourself and uh, everything is just so convoluted and and not put out in a way that's easy to understand. It just makes the game hard to enjoy for extended periods of time. Yeah, you, it's hard. There's like, there's so much good in there. Like the battle system, it's fun. The game is fun to play, but the the lack of missions like we were doing a completely different mission and all of a sudden we're like oh we've already been in this room doing this exact same thing for a completely different mission so you're like you're just recycling the same smash these boxes and or smash these power converters and then we just kind of keep ending up in the same room no matter what mission we're doing and it's there but then at the same time it's like i want to play more and it's really confusing yeah. to me like i want to figure it out it's like a challenge for me now but at the same time, do I want to keep wasting? It's not a waste of time if I'm playing with you or playing with people, but it's still kind of like I could be playing something else. So it's very confusing, oh. but it was fun to play last night. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's still fun to to run around the same screen as your buddy, like just smashing stuff. You don't have to think too much about it. And like I said, it features characters we love anyway. I just I just wish it was a little better i was hoping i was hoping for more from from it um i'm sure we'll give it a few more tries here and there and see how much we can actually figure out and how good we can get at it Mm -hmm. 
doing what they want you to do once we figure out what they really want you to do. Right. But uh, yeah, it was a good time either way. We probably need up. to get on like YouTube and watch some like videos that people made of like explaining how stuff works, you know, <laughs> some yeah. tutorials, man. But, but, but we're hit sitting here. This is, you know, our holiday weekend. We're at the 4th of July still Don's on vacation. He's been living it up for 10 years. Went to a Cubs game up in Milwaukee. Been Ten living years. it up for a week, man. Huh? You said ten years. <laughs> ten years of vacation. Man, Man that would be that would be awesome. A ten year paid vacation. I'll take that. <laughs> it's called retirement. Oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but ten days uh almost <laughs> almost over here, man. I still have today, Saturday, Sunday, and then that bonus day of Monday. So I'm still at the tail end of it here, but the vacation week always goes so fast. Um uh, faster than every other week. But right, feels know, like it. It's a good time to rest your mind and your body. We all need that every now and then. So it's nice to have a job too that, uh, you know, offers paid vacation. I, I hope everyone gets to experience those because they're, you work hard and it's well deserved. And, uh, I'm enjoying it. But like you said, we are here in the 4th of July weekend. 4th of July is tomorrow when we're recording this. And, uh, I saw a story here that, um, on the internet, about a the passing of the patriot from wwe now we've talked about before that i'm somewhat of a lapsed wrestling fan you watch it still not as, i know not as heavily as you did in the 90s but um 90s or 2000s in the attitude era but the patriot man passing away right here on fourth of july weekend it seems kind of crazy and he was like a a somewhat large involved in big storylines during his time in like wasn't that in the 90s it was kind of like right at the beginning at the yeah Yeah, like right at the dawn of the attitude attitude era (laughs) he was in there uh and it started making me making me think about the times we'd watch him and i remember his biggest rivalry was against the Hart foundation Mm -hmm. especially against bret hart who was like the biggest name in wrestling back then, uh, WWE champion. And man, uh, I just wanted your thoughts on some of this, like thinking back to those times. Is it not funny to you that the WWE made, made Canada, Bret Hart, the Hart Foundation, British Bulldog, Owen Hart, uh, the Anvil. I can't think of his real name. Jim, Jim Ninehart. Jim Ninehart. Yeah. Like their brother-in-law, they were all related in, by Brian blood or by marriage yeah yeah man wwe just made canada like the the huge villain and like i remember crowds back then like chanting f canada or like everything and like canada was like a huge villain like could this have started a war between canada and the united states like, <laughs> there are they're our closest ally they're right above us it's almost like the same country except you know just a few differences here and there like why did why did we make canada such a huge villain at that time like do you what were your thoughts on remembering that time and the patriot that's hilarious yeah patriot i mean realistically i don't think he was around very long and i think his biggest feud was that bret hart feud and i really think that's why they brought him in because of that whole canada thing they're like we're going to bring in the most american patriot we could find and he's going to feud with Bret Hart. And that's all I remember him doing. Like, I remember nothing else except for that feud. So it's funny that you kind of bring that up. Uh, yeah, it's 
kind of hilarious because I remember when we were younger watching that, we were thinking like we were genuinely wondering if it was going to start a war because we had so much <laughs> hatred for Canada that I think still is inside me. Like I have biases <laughs> and I have just like Canada and those, you know, it's all jokey, but it's still there because I think of wrestling, you know, because back in the day, that's what they did. And now I'm just, I have this just, hmm, I'm always slant eyeing over to Canada. Just like, think you're better than me. Right. Like Bret Hart would get in the ring, throwing that Canadian flag around and everyone's just like, boo, boo, Canada sucks. Like what? (laughs) It's crazy. It's not like a country we're at war with in real life. Like this is just Canada, our neighbors to the North. Like why? I guess it was kind of like the role they had him take and he was kind of the heel. And so his whole thing was Canada is a superior country. So that's what kind of set the whole thing off. And yeah, WWE just created this guy, the Patriot, who, who, like you said, didn't last long, but I think he had a title match against Bret Hart, like only at an in your house or something, maybe only yeah. a couple months after his debut. Yeah. And uh, we were always wondering who it was, if it was like some, some wrestler we'd already known just under the mask. And I don't think they ever revealed it to be, like I said, it's this guy named Del Wilkes. Um, yeah, but he was like the symbol of America to us for a little bit. So we all got behind him. We didn't even know who he was. He was just wearing, american flag colors we're like yes the patriot he showed up with american flag mask on and we had no idea who he was but he was our hero yeah and that's i don't know it's extremely poetic that he did pass on fourth of july weekend that's kind of depressing but then kind of inspiring like you're just like oh if 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 i was that character and i would you know get to pick a time to go that's probably when i would pick it so right Happy Fourth of July, everybody! Rest in peace, the Patriot. You gave us some uh, fun wrestling memories that I had that I just wanted to bring up. And any to any of our listeners out there who may reside in Canada, we are uh, this is a fake rivalry we have with you. We really love you. Please keep listening to our show. Don't abandon us. Canada's cool too. Yeah, and we <laughs> just had our buddy Pete on, who's from Canada. So, yeah, he's lived in Canada longer than he lived in America. Cho 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 but. We are going to move on because we got a lot to talk about. And I know there's a majority of you going, you guys spent way too much time talking about wrestling. (laughs) But that was when it was good. So I'm sure we got some some love there. But make sure you like, subscribe, and follow this show. We're always looking for those five-star reviews. Make sure you follow us over at Raise the Geek. Join the 700 people and growing that are following us and checking out the content that Don does such a great job at putting out there for you guys doing polls questions links all kinds of good stuff so make sure you follow at raised a geek if you want to join the conversation hit us up raised a geek at gmail.com make sure you leave your name and where you're writing in from so we can give you a proper shout out on the show we'd love to hear from you guys you guys can also run over to our anchor.fm page which is linked below and leave us a voicemail if you actually want to hear your voice on the show if it's good enough we might throw it in here so definitely hit us up with that but don i heard you uh just finally beat resident evil 7 resident evil biohazard man what were your what were your thoughts of the game and now that you got finally did it you're done you survived it's one of the scariest resident evils since like the first one and just it was a well put together game what'd you think man 
Yeah, finally did beat Resident Evil 7. I'm a, I was a little bit behind you. I know we were both kind of playing it a little bit, but you got ended up got through it before me, but I'm glad I did finally um get through it so we could have a conversation about it. Like you said, Resident Evil 7 to me is probably the scariest one of the series that I've played, like truly scary moments that just was full of uncomfort and true scares um man I I love the game I wasn't sure how I would like before playing it seeing that it changed to a first person um first person perspective was different uh changed from the original games like the boxy camera angles where the camera would change when you go around every corner and then the game kind of evolved to over the shoulder view that got very popular with resident evil 4 that people love mm-hmm. that's been copied in a lot of games ever since then that was like an innovation for that but then going to this game changing to first person a lot of people are like man that's i don't like that change i don't think it's good i think the first person added a lot of uh, what made this game more tension filled and scary like it because it added a lot of perspective limits that uh you didn't have to worry about in previous games right like this game walking around corners and not knowing what's going to be in front of you or not knowing what you're going to see i feel like added a lot of scariness to this game um another thing was the departure from zombies in this game um when you think of resident evil what do you what's the first thing you think of you know zombie zombie horror survival yep uh this game was still horror survival but they kind of took the zombie thing out of it there's still monsters and things to deal with, but uh, the the best thing I like about this game is the introduction and um, inclusion of the Baker family. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the strongest thing in this game. You got Jack, Marguerite, and Lucas Baker who basically terrorize you in this game. Um, man, and they just make them so scary and when they're lurking around and they start coming into the game, they each kind of have their own section. It's just super scary man i don't know how else to um add to it i don't know what the, what are your some things you love about this the, game the first person perspective is what made that worst because since resident evil 2 they've always had a character that was always kind of chasing you you know you'd have nemesis you'd have other different things most of those games always have parts or sections where someone is chasing you and you're just like and it's not and you can't kill them you just have to kind of get to a safe spot that they can't follow or keep progressing and this game did the same thing with the with the Baker family. The game was broken down in the three sections and each family member had their own section for you. And they would pretty much show up at random times and follow you or chase you and kill you if you let them. But because it was first person, you could never, you could hear them, but you could yeah. never, you couldn't really see them unless you turned around. Where in the other games that were more of a third person, you could tell when they're getting close to you. So it's, it's still scary to hear them. You still know they're coming. You're still running but chances are you're going to see them before they get to you. And this one you could not, and you would just have to trust your audio. You know, yeah. hopefully your audio was good enough. So you know how close and you would just start running. And you, <laughs> and I kept having, I remember there was that one section when Jack was running around and I know you're like in this like rec room, there's like a bar mm-hmm. and a pool table and stuff. And Jack is just chasing you and you just got to keep shooting him and shooting him until he goes down. So he kept having to like run, but then to hit him, you have to actually turn around. So yeah. I'm turning around all slow, hoping he's not right there swinging his axe at me. 
And uh, it just made that kind of trademark Resident Evil scare thing of being chased so much worse. Oh, definitely. Um, I think a lifesaver in this game was when I finally figured out there, there was a way to do a quick turn. Like if you press if you press down on the <laughs> D-pad and press circle at the same time, you could do like a quick turn to see who's right behind you. Um, I use that thing a lot because the slow turn when the noise, the, the sound of being chased is right behind you is like terrifying. It's like agonizing. Um, I don't and that is another turn. Yeah. Oh, there's a quick, there's a quick turn. I don't there. remember doing it for Jack. I kind of remember, maybe I figured it out later, but I remember doing slow ass turns in that pool table, that billiards room. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you kind of touched on another thing that makes this game sets it apart in the, the fright terror level from other games is like you're Ethan, you're Ethan in this game, like a new character just introduced for this. And you're, you're straight up a civilian. Like you're not a soldier. So like in other games where you get all loaded up and you have all these guns and you can just take on everything like the, you're just a civilian who has to find guns and the, the way they make the guns and the ammo seem so scarce in this game, make it seem all that more valuable to you. So you really don't want to, you want to use the least amount of ammo and shots as you can, because you don't know when the next load up you're going to find is like oh my god i'm out of bullets i'm not going to be like i already saved i'm not going to be able to do anything in this game i'm gonna be trapped i remember once you get the machine gun in this game like i barely used the thing because i was like i don't want to waste these bullets i don't know when i'm gonna really need them so like that the desperation that you kind of felt as survival horror man survival horror you do more running away in this one than you did probably in any other previous game just because it's like you're better off running than standing and fighting because you don't know what you're up against mm-hmm. and they make and like you said you're shoot you're shooting jack or shooting whoever and they don't have like a life bar you don't know how if these bullets are going to do anything to him if he's ever going to go down that added to it too like i don't know even know if me shooting him is doing anything right so yeah especially when you had that when you were in that morgue and you had to have that big fight with jack with the chainsaw where you're having like chainsaw sword fights with each other that was horrible in first person because i'm like how close do i need to be to hit him with the chainsaw (laughs) and try and then he starts swinging and you got to like kick those bodies that are hanging from the ceiling into him to like stun him and that was a horrifying battle like i was just sitting there all clenched up just yeah me too man this this game just like made you super uncomfortable especially oh, yeah. during those those uh baker parts i know later in like the third part of the game or the you know we split this into thirds like the third the last third of the game the bakers weren't really there and it kind of we got introduced to evie who ends up being or evelyn who they kind of introduced oh, or, should I they made all that yeah yeah they made her be like she's the main um driving villain in this game like she's the one who overtook the bakers and made them the way they are um that that the evie part kind of felt a little less intense to me than the i liked the bakers i don't know yes uh once they kind of like found their way out of the game once you defeat jack and defeat marguerite and you get through the lucas stuff even though he's not really defeated i think he gets comes back later in a dlc i looked he, up that i ne- that i never played yeah he does played. he does because there's actually because after you beat the game it says you can now download this dlc and it's a free dlc that's a lucas chapter and i started it but i i was just like i'm not 
playing this right now and i see but they <laughs> had a weird because you played as chris redfield mm-hmm. in that hunting down lucas in the caves underneath the house but they had this mechanic going on where you had to have this gas mask on and then you had all these sections where you were trying to run through that were filled with gas and you had this like timer that you're you know you'd run out of air and i hated that so i'm just like i don't have the patience to do this right now and try to learn my way yeah. around these caves and shit so I, I didn't, but yeah, Lucas still made it. Lucas was really big with doing the uh, puzzles because he had that huge videotape puzzle where you had to like, if you didn't watch the tape ahead of time, you had no idea how to solve the puzzle. Yeah, I and I'm not really ashamed. Cool. Yeah, I'm not ashamed to admit that a lot of the Lucas puzzles I had to like go online and like watch some walkthroughs of. Once they started getting to me, I was like, I can't keep doing this. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. So like. I've lost my patience as a gamer in some aspects when it comes to that. Like I don't have time or the patience to figure this out. If I'm going to keep playing this game, I got to look and see what I need to do. So I definitely did do that some during the Lucas stuff. Yeah. He was cool with the traps. Um, But like I said, once, once the Baker family kind of exited the game, more or less, the EV portions were just like more, more so a drudge just to finish the game. You felt like you were getting close. And once you get into the, the ship with her and all her like it becomes more ghosty like once once she gets in it's more like a ghost um a a figure in the shadows a little less than the original like louisiana torture hillbilly family feel i liked at the beginning a little more than the end i don't know how you felt about that i I agree once we kind of got through with the bakers and hit mia and we took over. We we switched from we switched main characters from Ethan to Mia. Uh, Ethan spent the whole first half of the game for those who haven't played, hunting down trying to find his girlfriend Mia. And then when he finally finds her, then you switch and you actually play as Mia for this section for with all the stuff with Evelyn. So or Evie. So then yeah, once you kind of switch to that, I'm like okay, a new character, and I just did all of the stressful stuff with the Bakers. I'm I'm good. So yeah, yeah. once you kind of hit that, and I think that was the general consensus is that kind of a, once you got through with the bakers the first half of the game everyone was like that was awesome but nobody ever talks about like i already forgot evie was even a thing i remember the whole first the bakers i didn't even remember evie was a thing because it just kind of comes out of nowhere and it's it's lackluster yeah yeah i that's definitely what i'm my point with that is it uh, the evie section second half was less so than the first half still the game as a whole works i think oh yeah but um definitely enjoyed the baker sections more um and once you get to the ending of this game it kind of starts tying in like with more resident evil lore like you see stuff about vaccines and infections and like the t virus or whatever viruses and it kind of more tied in like you start reading things that come up in the papers, Raccoon City. So it all finally ties in to make it feel more like a Resident Evil game at the end. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I had a fun experience. I really like, I really liked Resident Evil 7. It kind of rekindled my interest in Resident Evil series as a whole. So then two questions. First, to finish up on our Resident Evil 7 talk, who'd you give the vaccine to, Mia or Zoe? Man, and I had trouble with this one because I was like, whenever they do this in video games, I always say, I don't want to do the wrong one. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a right one or is there a wrong one and what's going to happen? And I, for a second, thought, like, I need to look on the internet and see which one is the right one. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to do the one I feel 
and I went the Mia route Mm -hmm. because I thought that that's what Ethan would really do. Mm -hmm. Like if he only had one vaccine, is he going to give it to the girl he's been looking for his wife or girlfriend for this entire game or Zoe, who is like a Baker family member who seems like she's the one who's normal, but she's still someone he just met. So like, why would he give her the vaccine? So I don't know. I gave it to Mia. Yeah. I didn't even hesitate. Like they were like, who do you, who do you give it to? Pick one. And I was like, uh, Mia, I'm here for Mia. So I don't know who Zoe is. Zoe's a voice on a phone. This is literally the first right. time we've ever been face to face. I was like, I'm not, I'm sorry. It sucks. But yeah, I'm going to give it to my girlfriend over yeah. Zoe. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even sure how the game would have changed. I'm sure it would have changed massively. Well, no, I think ultimately, because I looked it up after I beat the game, and I think, which I wanted to go back and see, but I think there's just one extra scene. You you still end up giving it to Mia. It's just a different type of scene, and it changes mm-hmm. like one other little thing, but it's all, I don't think it's a big change, because Mia still is the one that ends up with it. Um, okay. There's just a little bit more of a, you know, a different cutscene that plays where something happens with Zoe and like I said, Mia still ends up with the vaccine. So it really didn't matter if I remember correctly. Well, seems like we still made the same choice. The one that makes sense. Give it to me. To me, that was a no brainer and close up this uh, resident evil talk for a second. What, what's your next game? You're going to jump into village resident evil eight that just came out here in May, or do you want to go back and play the remakes of two and three? Do you want to, I mean, go back to the PlayStation 1 and play the original or play the remakes? What, what are you thinking about uh, going back or continuing? How do you plan on continuing your Resident Evil journey? Man, is all of them an acceptable answer? I, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to play all of them. The order is up for debate and we'll see how that plays out. But I, you know, we're both PlayStation 5 guys. I've looked on the store and you can get the uh resident evil one remake for not a bad price uh that was like originally a gamecube game you can play that and then there's also the remakes of two and three i think you told me as a bundle right now that you can get i definitely want to go through those i know there's differences in those remakes than the original ones but it kind of i would like the modern updates to them instead of going back and playing you know the original resident evil which might be a little rough no matter how great of a game that is um but yeah, and then as far as Village, which is the second part to Ethan's adventure that just recently came out, I definitely still want to play that game, even though, you know, we've all seen the trailers and everything, all the stuff coming out for that, you know, they kind of shift to vampires and whatnot, werewolves, werewolves and that's kind of where they're headed. But if, it, if, if it's anything similar to Seven, I definitely want to play that one. I was kind of waiting for a price drop on that. Uh so I know it's still a recent game. It's probably still first price, but me and my inability to pay full price for games kind of comes in here. So that's definitely on the list of games I'm going to get. So I'm going to be playing something guarantee. Yeah. I keep debating. Cause I started, I saw a GameStop got resident evil village and you can get it used for like 44. Okay. And that's somewhat a little bit more tempting. One of the nice things about GameStop is you have seven days to return a used game. Can you beat it in seven days? I mean, realistically, yes. Because yeah. I mean, there. I think those Resident Evil games are, you know, eight, ten hours, twelve, and you know, in a week you can. You know, it would have been maybe a good thing for you to do while you're on vacation. <laughs> right, but I had to finish seven first. That took the first 
half of my vacation. Nice, nice. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm feeling you on that. Resident Evil, those games are fun, and they've done a good job of bringing this series back. And they're bringing it back in a huge way because Resident Evil Infinite Darkness is hitting Netflix. It's an anime show that they put together, and it's hitting Netflix on July 8th, so Thursday, so a day after you guys are listening to us now. So we're going to do a quick preview of Resident Evil Infinite Darkness. They do have a trailer that dropped on May 18th, so you definitely can check that out. We rewatched it again here before we went on live. Um, so here's the basic synopsis of that show to see if it sounds like something you'd be interested in as a Resident Evil fan. Uh, so it's set between the events of Resident Evil 4 and 5, and the series takes place in 2006 after a hacking incident is uncovered at the White House. Leon S. Kennedy was ordered to investigate the incident, but he encounters zombies when the White House is targeted in a mysterious attack. He later meets Claire Redfield, who's been checking a strange drawing made by a child refugee while working on a TerraSave-led mission to oversee construction of a welfare facility. So that's the basic synopsis of what this show is going to be. I don't know how many episodes it is. I don't know how long. I, I, they haven't, as far as I'm aware, revealed any of that information. But is this something you're planning on checking out? Resident Evil, have you watched any of the other animated movies? Is this in your, your interest zone? Yeah, I'm interested, uh, especially just like rekindling this Resident Evil interest with the games. Um, so I'm going to be watching. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I have watched some of the Resident Evil animated stuff they've they've put out before. I, nothing like I'd have to revisit it because it's been quite a while. Um, the live action movies are a whole nother thing. Uh, the first live action movie, I'm sure we'll talk about that another day uh, when we want to but fan of that and and um this trailer looked cool to me it's like bringing i like that it's taking place between four and five like they're placing it in the actual lore of the games Mm -hmm. uh leon and claire both look like leon and claire that you know from the games. so it looks like it looks like you're watching cut scenes from a game that they're just making into a show yeah uh so that's cool um, still don't really know what it's about from the trailer. There's not a lot there. It's just kind of like generic cutscenes and everything you know from Resident Evil, like espionage and secrets and government and, yeah. and cover still with some zombies and guns and cover-ups. Yeah, so uh, it's on Netflix. I'm I'm sure it's so it's easy to watch right there in front of us. You don't got to do too much to have access to it. So I'm definitely going to be giving it a shot. What about you? Yeah, I mean, like I said, being on Netflix, just being able to put it on my TV, I'm I'm down for this show, and uh, checking it out, seeing what it is. Sometimes the Netflix anime shows, I'm I don't feel I never really got around to Castlevania or Devil May Cry. I believe um, seemed like they would be no brainers for me to watch, and I still have had a hard time getting through them or really getting into them, not necessarily through them. So, but Resident Evil, I'm down. Give this a shot. Zombies are back. Looks like classic Resident Evil fun. So I'm, I'm excited to check it out and maybe it'll be something that we will want to talk about on the show. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So we were able to uh, red box uh, Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. We've talked about this uh, movie a couple times already on the show. We both basically said we're super excited for this animated movie to come out. And it was going to be the first half of The Long Halloween comic book which we both also said is one of our favorites and we really enjoy that story and the writing and the art and just what that one was so don you ran out to a red box you got a dvd of this thing because it was the only way you can watch it because digitally you have to buy it for 20 bucks and i was like "Eh, 
I don't need to buy it. I can rent it for a dollar eighty. So did it did it live up to your expectations? How do you feel? And then we'll kind of deep dive. Yeah, Long Halloween, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Batman story of all time. I know a lot of people have it high on their list, but it's probably at the top of my list. Um, a comic written by Jeff Loeb, art by Tim Sale, and it, it ran for 13 issues um, in 1996 and 97, so we're going back a ways here. Yeah, uh, it, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale wrote this after they'd already written three Hall- Batman Halloween specials, which have been collected in a thing called Batman Haunted Night, which so that preceded the long Halloween. That was kind of like their first dive into the Halloween-ish world, Batman. And, uh, you know, DC kind of came to them and wanted them to do more. So they came upon the long Halloween to write after um, an idea from, you know, editorial and higher ups at DC. They wanted them to get more into the, um, <clears throat> like the mobster era of uh, early, very early Batman. And they kind of wanted them to live in the world of uh, what Frank Miller started in year one. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. And, and uh, that's where, where this world is based, the long Halloween world. Uh, two sequels did eventually follow too. They wrote Dark Victory, which was a straight sequel to the long Halloween. And also Catwoman Win in Rome. Uh, which was more of a Catwoman-based story, but still based in the world of The Long Halloween. Um, yeah, man, and one of my favorite books. So when this was announced to be finally make its way to animated uh, movie, we were both excited. They've done so many of the other iconic Batman stories and made them into movies. So it was kind of about time they got to this one, and I'm glad they did. Uh, like you said, we got it on the right old red box because that was the only way we could find without buying it. And I, I did decide after watching this part, and if I enjoy part two, I may add it to my collection of Blu-rays that I have. Uh, but yeah, I was really a big fan of, of this adaptation. Um, I feel like it didn't stray too far from the comic, but it did make a lot of its own decisions at the same time, mm-hmm. but nothing too crazy that would change the story for fans. So this was a good watch, I feel, for fans of the comic. And also, if you've never seen it um, or you've never read the comic before, it would be an easy watch for you, too. So it's not one of those things where you had to already know the story going in. It's like a it's a fun tale. I like it most when Batman is has to solve a mystery. That's always been my favorite Batman, not just when he's busting heads and like fighting you know mr freeze and like all these super power like when batman really has to solve a ground level um based in reality mystery is when i like batman the most um and that's kind of what we got here this this movie covers um only chapters one through four of the book so the the book is split up into each chapter is a different holiday um that the holiday killer is is killing people uh connected to carmine falcone who is set up to be the the mob boss in this book i think he's been introduced in batman before like in the year one so he's an established person but he's like the focus of this and who the holiday killer is killing people uh associated with carmine falcone's criminal empire and we don't know why um 
but it, it's separated into chapters, like I said. So the first four chapters of this book are Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Day. And uh, each each ho- at the end of each holiday, someone from Carmine's empire is getting killed by a mysterious killer who they come to know as the Holiday Killer. And Batman has to solve this uh, with help from Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Dent. Um, some of the biggest things I notice, like I'm going to talk about comic differences and from the comic and movie, but one thing I kind of noticed in here, I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of, um, uh, inspiration in the movie. We both love the dark Knight was pulled straight out of this comic. Did you pick up that in the, from the movie? Yeah. Like, um, watching the movie and also having read the comic, did you like notice a lot of inspiration in christopher nolan's dark knight movie yeah yeah when you said the dark knight i was thinking frank miller's the dark knight returns oh, which no, of course is yeah. its own thing and i know Zack snyder pulled a lot from that one so like yeah. says, so many batman stories no absolutely and i was telling you before we went recording i i went and grabbed the i never actually owned this this uh the trade of this story i've always just kind of read it and had access to it but never got it so i picked it up when i was at the comic book store yesterday and um, I have a newer version. So there's actually a forward by Chris Nolan and David uh, Goyer, who wrote uh, The Dark Knight and all, you know, all of Nolan, Nolan's trilogy. And it was very interesting, just just that realization of how much how influenced they were really by this story. And they said something really cool in there, how they said that that's like Batman is part of a like a triangle. You know, it's like Batman can't stop the crime because he needs the police to arrest him. He needs the D.A. to prosecute him. And if you don't have any, you know, if none of those parts work, then what Batman's doing is nothing. He's just beating up. He's just a vigilante. He's not actually bringing anyone to justice. And that's his whole thing is to clean up. So he needs that. And this was really the first time that you saw that and really saw this like organized crime level and just this cooperation between Batman, the DA and the uh, police. And seeing that it's just, yeah, it's just something that you never really thought about before. And this was really one of the stories that dove deep into that relationship to make that work. And then, of course, as we said, seeing these characters, I mean, I remember sitting in the theater with you watching The Batman Begins and they started talking about Falcone and you and I looked at each other like Falcone, like just had no idea these characters were going to be in that. And of course, the first thing we're thinking is Long Halloween. And I mean, it's just even watching Batman Begins, we dove in hard just hearing these names and knowing that this is kind of the type of world and that whole idea with the long Halloween is really comes down to that Batman. If he was real, how would this work? And that's what Chris Nolan always tried to do. His Batman was very, very grounded. And that's what this Batman is like as well. It's extremely, it's not over the top superhero-y. It's very, like I said, organized crime street level. And it's just, it's such a good story and it's influenced so much between this story and Frank Miller. It's just, that is so much of what's influenced Batman since they've been written, you know, the eighties and the nineties and so much Batman has been just ripped right off from <laughs> these arcs, you know? So it's, yeah. it's super, and it's been fun to start reading again uh, now that I have a copy of it. Cause it's been a while. So I was excited for the movie and I really, really enjoyed it. And now I'm enjoying it for the book. And we just got to wait a couple more weeks and we can get part two. And I agree with you. I'm probably going to, once they do a collection, you know, put yeah. the two movies together. Because that's how I did. I bought The Dark Knight Returns when they did part one and part two as one movie. So I have a three-hour movie on Blu-ray that's both of them. 
in one. So I'm hoping they do the same thing with long Halloween and there's a good chance I'll pick that one up because I'm really so far I'm impressed. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you make a lot of good points there to touch on some of them, like um, <clears throat> the, the connection between Batman, Harvey Dent and commissioner Gordon was straight up pulled out of this book for the dark Knight, no one's dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even like a line in this book where Batman says, I believe in Harvey Dent. That is like the tagline for, for uh, Dent running for DA in mm-hmm. the movie. So like, you know, Christopher Nolan read this book, of course, and like took a lot of inspiration from this. Um, and I like in this book, it's a, it's kind of the definitive Harvey Dent into um, his descent into whatever two face if you want to call it like it's the definitive comic book story of that i would say you won't find another comic i don't think that lays out um harvey dent's origin into two-face better than this book does um and we see that in the movie dark knight as well so the similarities are all there um to me there's also a a lot of notable comic to movie differences in this movie though that i did kind of want to touch on um and whether they're a good thing or a bad thing, that's up to you to decide because I did. I mean, that's up to everyone to decide because I did love both. Um, the main things I think are Tim Sale's entire kind of style is missing from the animation here. Yes. Um, so reading the comic and watching the movie, it's two totally different appearances. I, I'm a huge fan. Tim Sale is like one of my favorite Batman artists just because I love the atmosphere he does. Like he works a lot in the shadows and uh make makes things seem very i don't know it's very atmospheric the way he he draws and that's not in this animation style they went more of a traditional um what you would think of when you think of a dc animated movie animation and i know that's hard to do and hard to like recapture an artist's style as distinct as tim sales is oh yeah. but that's one thing i kind of did notice and that goes along also with like the catwoman and batman designs they're very different than the book oh in yeah the book in the book batman has the big long ears and he looks more like the gothic shadowy batman in this in this movie he's just kind of like looks straight up like an animated batman you know different and catwoman has the traditional purple suit uh, the her old nostalgic look, and they gave her more of a modernized with the goggles um, look in this. So they kind of modernized that a little bit. They but they had to because other things they um, modernize is um, they changed the gang, who is the second victims of Holiday in Thanksgiving. It was like an Irish mob in the book, but in this, it's kind of a yakuza style Asian gang. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they totally changed that and i think the main purpose was that of that was to add that action sequence we have in this movie where batman is fighting these you know ninjas martial arts ninjas fighters which was definitely a cool scene so it's cool that they added that but that was not in the book um i don't know there's there's some other differences harvey dent has to fake his death in the book they didn't get to that and they didn't do that in this uh in the movie so um there's there's definitely a lot of differences i don't think they were all bad but there were definitely differences um but the added action does work 
<clears throat> I enjoyed Jensen Eccles as as uh, Batman in this. Did I you? Did yeah, I did too. He had some good voice acting. You know, we kind of when we think of Batman voice acting, the first name that comes to mind is, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Kevin uh, Conroy. Kevin Conroy. God, I sound stupid. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the first name that comes to mind. I don't know his name. <laughs> yeah, he's, right. like, he's the classic Batman voice you think of. With the animated series, the video games, some of these other movies he's done, uh, but man, Jensen Eccles kind of stepped Eccles stepped in and and did his thing here. I know he's voiced Red Hood in another in another uh, DC animated, so he's kind of already had his put his foot in the water with Gotham City voice acting. But I enjoyed him; I thought he was good, and he could be used for future projects. He didn't super separate the Bruce and the Batman voice as much as maybe you want but he did a great job i think i agree um, yeah and also the return of troy baker as joker was nice uh because if you're not going to get mark hamill troy baker is like the second choice he's he's he was in arkham origins uh mm-hmm. and he's also stepped in other places i guess where they couldn't get mark hamill to do it yeah but uh he's a if you're going to have to have a second choice as joker he's he's the guy cuz it's pretty damn close. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about it here in a minute. But you know, I also we also watched Batman Hush, the animated movie, with which is another Jeff Loeb. Um, is that a Tim Sale as well? No, it's Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. Jim Lee, Jim Lee. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, another story. And watching that movie, the j- guy who did the Joker voice was terrible, and yeah. I did not. It just wasn't the same. And I, especially after watching Long Halloween. So yeah, Troy Baker. If you can't get Mark Hamill. Troy Baker is definitely your go-to, I think, for the Joker. I think he's got that down, and I know he's voiced the Joker in a lot of these DC animated movies, so it was definitely, it definitely helped. Yeah, for sure. So, all in all, I was, I'm a fan of this um, adaptation they did. It felt like they paid a good homage to the source material, to the comic, uh, while also making it different, freshening it up, freshening it up in a few, few spots. But uh, all in all, I'm a big fan, and I can't wait for part two. Um, oh, I totally can't. I totally can't, and I, I agree with you. I did love, I loved the animation in this movie. Like, I loved it. I it kept drawing me in, but I kept seeing like everything had this just thick black line around all of the characters and around the stuff, and it just kind of looked really cool. Sometimes the animation seemed off, and then I just kept the art style. The way that the characters were drawn just kept like with those thick black lines just kept bringing me back and made it feel like a detective story. So I thought the animation was really good. Yeah, if you can't animate Tim Sale and like I said, 1996 was when this was. So, you know, the fashion, the styles, all of that's going to be the character models are all going to be out of date. You know, reading back through the first issue of Long Halloween. Yeah, Catwoman's got the 80s hair and, you know, Selena Kyle has the 80s hair and all that stuff. So I could see where updating that's not the not the worst thing and uh but yeah i agree with you tim sale just is so great at drawing batman in that atmosphere even in the first issue i was looking at and there's one scene with bruce wayne where he's talking and he says something real sinister and they have, he puts the shadows over his face that makes it look like he's got the batman mask on and it was just such a cool i stared at that for like 30 seconds just man that's a cool use for what he was saying and i just you know, if you can't, it'd be hard to animate in that style, but it works so well on the page. And it's just such a great book that I can't wait to continue reading. And once again, I can't wait for part two 
Um, I really want to check that out because this, I had a lot of fun. I really kind of want to watch this one again. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I do, I do too. And um, you'll notice we haven't talked about the chapters beyond four, like five through 12 of the book, because we're, we're going to wait until part two comes out um, and have another episode. Probably I'm sure about um, all that. And we'll get deeper into the long Halloween as a comic. Cause we mm-hmm. both love it. Uh, but we don't want to spoil anything for people out there who haven't been able to read the comic and want to, you know, see the mystery fully play out. So yeah, definitely a big fan of what they did. Long Halloween comics, still one of our favorites and can't wait to talk about it more with you, man, when part two comes out. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. So I, we will be back to be continued for this conversation. Um, but I know we wanted to finish up today because we wanted to talk about one more I'm realizing that HBO has all of these animated DCs and so many that we missed. We realized another one. And like, as I mentioned already, Batman Hush, which was also written by Jeff Loeb, very similar, another really big Batman story that was influential and had a lot of made, made some waves when it was released. And uh, so we definitely went, sat down and watched that. And Don, I know you, you were so into watching this, uh, movie that you actually sat down and read the whole the whole graphic novel of Hush because you said that there were so many differences and I can't wait to hear more about your run-in with the movie I finished the movie today I really enjoyed Batman Hush the animated movie so much of it I did not remember um, I was kind of surprised about I know I've read the book but maybe it's been a while or maybe they did make a lot of liberties because there was stuff I do not remember about that that book stuff that I was, I'm like, no, this, yeah. I, I, I could have swore. I just remember his, uh, his friend, Tommy, Thomas, Tommy Elliot. Yeah. I just remember him having a bigger role in the story. And, uh, yeah, you probably, you probably do remember that, right? Because he definitely did. Okay. That's uh, what I thought. Yeah. Cause I, I really was, I had a different impression, but Don, give us a rundown on Batman hush. Yeah. Batman hush, another Jeff Loeb book um this time he was paired up with jim lee iconic artist who everybody knows his art from x-men to uh his own stuff with like wild storm and and um wildcats all that image founder but uh iconic iconic artist this was a 12 issue series um 12 issue book that ran from 2002 to 2003 one of the more interesting things about this is where the long halloween was its own thing and its own title batman hush did run in the monthly batman book mm-hmm. so it was it had to stick within the co- continuity that was already existing it didn't get to exist in its own world uh which i always found interesting so batman hush was just 12 issues out of batman hmm. um it's an interesting plot we all know it who who've kind of been been through it this is another mystery um hush is a character that we don't know his name right off the bat but he's a new villain that jeff Loeb and jim lee kind of created themselves and he's more or less um terrorizing batman and using his villains and friends alike to um get to him and the further further we get into the story, you can tell that Hush not only is going after Batman's people, but he's also going after Bruce Wayne's people, which leads Batman to believe that Hush is someone who knows his identity and makes him a very formidable villain. Um, 
this book features a lot of Batman's allies and rogues gallery alike. Like every basically every villain and teammate you can think of of Batman is in this mm-hmm. comic and movie. Um Another thing is Jeff Loeb. I, I'm a big fan of Jeff Loeb because you can tell he wrote this book to work with the strengths of Jim Lee, like where Jim Lee is more of an action and everything kind of in front of you guy, where Tim Sale is a uh, working in the shadows. You could tell Jeff kind of wrote these to fit the artists he was working with. Mm-hmm. Cause Jim could never do what Tim does and Tim could never do what Jim does. So they had to kind of be two different kind of things you could tell. Uh, so I like that about Jeff Loeb. Say what you will about Jeff Loeb. I know he's, you know, been the head writer behind, um, Marvel, the Marvel Netflix shows and people think he kind of went wrong with that. But as far as a comics writer, I'm a big Jeff Loeb fan. Um, so yeah, there, there were a lot of, the biggest thing to me in this book is there is a lot of big comic book to movie differences that need to be addressed. Like what you just brought up thinking that Tommy Elliott had a bigger part. He had a definitely bigger part because in the comic book, he is hush. That was what I thought. Yeah. I, I could have <laughs> swore that that was like what it was. So then when they kind of did the reveal in the movie, I was like, wait, this works. Yeah. I was, I was a hundred percent satisfied with it. And I even was thinking back going, does that even make sense? And I kept trying to like think back through the movie for clues. And, yeah. and I guess we'll just full spoiler here, but in the movie version, um, they made the Riddler be hush. Yes. And, yes. and it, for the movie, it worked and I was cool with it. I enjoyed the big fight scene at the end between Batman and the Riddler. Um, I, I liked the arc. I thought they answered all of the questions that I had when they revealed it. And I said, that's not right because of this or because of that. And then they went back around with the clay face thing. And I'm like, okay, okay yeah it worked for the movie but i did not remember that at all yeah because yeah it wasn't in there uh the the, after watching this that one is such a stark difference i have i had to like sit there and search and say and wonder why they changed it so much and it's not it's never really clear as to whose decision it was and why such the big change um I know when you do adaptations, you can't stick to the source material super closely. But to me, it was such a big jarring change that I'm still wondering why it was made. Um, I'll get back to it. But like other some other small changes are towards the beginning of the book. Um, it's Croc. It's Croc who's used. And in this in the movie, it was Bane. Yeah. Who Like they switched Bane and, and Croc like all together. And I don't fully understand why. Um Batgirl is the one who comes and rescues Batman after he falls in the movie. In the comic, it's Huntress. Uh, I just don't know if, I don't know if they just didn't want to use Huntress in the movie or like she wasn't part of that world. Um, there's no Ra's al Ghul in the movie, I don't think. And he was heavily featured in the comic. Uh, Damian Wayne is a big one. He's added into this movie, like in a very small scene when he's talking to Damian on the screen as, you know, yeah, yeah. his son. But this comic was, it, made in 2002 2003 Damian Wayne wasn't he didn't even exist yet he wasn't made until much later for the comic book so he's added um Nightwing has a a much bigger role in the movie than in the comic uh Two-Face and Harvey Dent is heavily featured in the comic and in this movie he's not like in the comic he gets a redemption like he gets restored to be uh 
Harvey Dent, like from getting a surgery to get his face fixed. And, and he's a big part of it. Uh, the biggest one besides or the Riddler being Hush that they did in the movie that I was disappointed did not make the movie is there's an entire chapter in the Hush comic books where Batman believes that Hush is Jason Todd mm-hmm. uh, because he takes off the bandages and it's Jason Todd standing there. Yeah. Which we all know Jason Todd is the second Robin who was killed by the Joker who eventually later in the comics becomes a red hood, but this was like his first appearance uh, back from the dead or whatever. And that ended, I think issue 11. And that to me was the biggest like shocker of this entire book of like, Oh my God, Jason Todd is back. This is insane. Uh, it turns out not being Jason. It ends up being Clayface impersonating Jason, uh, which they kind of also used in this movie, like Clayface impersonated Riddler a little yeah. bit if I remember correctly, yeah. but they totally changed that and they made it, I don't know, they just totally, I thought that was one of the best parts of the Hush comic was the Jason Todd parts. It was very emotional, like seeing Jason come back and being like, why did you let me die and fighting Batman for the first time for an entire issue once until Batman finally figures out that, you know, this has got to be Jason uh, being impersonated by Clayface, but it was such a fun issue and it would have been fun to see them play around with that idea in the movie as well um yeah the only thing i could think of with that is that they needed there's a lot of backstory that goes into that that they didn't want to tell i mean that has to be the reason um so they i'm i'm sure that's why they they changed it but i'm just saying for me that was one one of the disappointments because that was one of my favorite parts of the hush comic oh yeah um but yeah the the movie did serve its purpose it's it kind of held the core of hush there uh like i said hush ends up not being tommy it ends up being the riddler which is another thing i found kind of strange because in the comic the riddler is the mastermind behind this at the end he turns out to be the one who was pulling all the strings anyway so they could have kept that and still kept him as the riddler in the movie they changed him into hush so is he riddler or is he hush now i mean he dies but is he he supposedly dies at the end we never know yeah but I'm still trying to struggle to figure out why they did that. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I, I understand. Like, why do you take the Riddler who's already an established villain and give him a new alias and a new persona? Like he's hush now. Um, one of the reasons they probably did it where they couldn't do it in the comics is because the Riddler keeps going and the comics books had to keep going. Looking at this movie, it could have just been like, well, this is our standalone Hush movie. We're going to kind of end it the way we want it and fix things we didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if that's their way of like, well, this maybe didn't work so well for the comic. We're going to fix it. And Riddler is going to be the real villain, the real end villain here, even though in the comics he is, but he's still the Riddler. He's just more of a guy who played mind games on everybody and tricked the Joker and and poison ivy and superman and everybody he's the one who was pulling all the strings um but still having tommy exist as hush i don't know which way to me the the comic i i preferred the comic outcome to this to the movie um but it was still fun it still accomplished what it had to do um i don't know did you have any thoughts on on the end i mean the ending there was kind of a little strange but 
it worked in a way i don't know it's hard to describe the movie worked and i enjoyed that they kind of like i said the breadcrumbs were there for the riddler if you really go look for them so i mean you could figure it out i like that idea my my thing that always comes into and i think it was honestly one of my original kind of things with hush in general as a story when i read it back in the day was that it's like you know sometimes they as you said batman has these detective stories which are really cool but then they always introduce like some brand new character that ends up being who it did it you know because they don't want to make the who did it the the killer the whatever be an established character because normally they don't want to do what they did with the riddler which is give someone a new identity right or do anything they don't want to change anything so they'll create a character like thomas elliott who comes in and you don't know who he is but all of a sudden he's super important and he's bruce wayne's old childhood friend and you're thinking one thing or another so then you're like well by default i'm going to assume it's him because you're creating a new villain so who else is going to be unless you're going to drop a bunch of new characters so i liked that they kind of did the swerve here especially because if you come in watching the comic or sorry, if you come in knowing the comic and knowing who it is, this definitely threw you off. Like you're like, whoa, you know, so they definitely made it its own thing. But yes, it was, I, w- I didn't remember it. So I didn't really have too big of a feeling on it. I was just like, huh, I don't remember that happening at all. And I just put it down to my lousy memory. <laughs> yeah, that is one thing I'll give it is introducing a new twist made it something that readers of the comic couldn't predict so if you did go into this movie watching it as a fan of the hush comic you didn't know exactly everything that was going to happen because they did such a big change Mm -hmm. so that is one thing i was like whoa okay we're going this route it's it's different and it 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 was surprising uh still don't know if it worked as well for me but it was i'll give it points that it, it did catch me off guard because i didn't you know that's not what happened in the comics um so yeah, I'll definitely give it that. Uh, the animation in this one, we did a comparison between the Long Halloween comic to movie animation. I wasn't a huge fan of the animation of this, the Hush one. The, everyone kind of looked a little more blocky and a little more. Did you did you pick that up? Like, yeah. If I'm if I'm comparing the two, the animation for Long Halloween, I definitely preferred it. I did to too. This. It's more stylistic, and it fit the story yeah. more. This just seemed like generic superhero cartoon yeah it wasn't as stylized and like the jim lee designs were definitely not there missing oh yeah um but all in all i was i i enjoyed watching this movie uh enjoyed the comic i still enjoy the comic more that so than the adaptation but that happens a lot with stuff um, always source material is always better yeah, I don't want to be one of those guys who's like, "Did you read the book? You should read the book." You like, you know, you there's guys like that everywhere. But for this, I'll definitely say if if you're out there and you watch the Batman Hush movie and haven't read the comic, you should definitely read the comic. It's even it's, though we uh, just spoiled it for you. <laughs> yeah. Um pretend you didn't hear us, just go and go in reading fresh. But if you haven't read the comic, Batman Hush is one of the, you know, my in my top 5 of Batman stories all time. Um so yeah you know it's it's a it's a great book and like i said i enjoyed the movie for what it was it was a nice mystery and i didn't see it coming so because i was thinking something else and i was very confused by the story because i read the source material so i i enjoyed it 
this was a fun kind of back double feature we did here for these DC animated movies. I see us doing more of this in the future because this was a good time. Um, checking out some of those, especially with so many of them being on HBO Max, I can kind of catch up on the ones that I've missed. So I definitely had a good time with that. You and me both, friend. You and me both. I lo- I love Batman, my favorite DC character. So it's fun to relive some of his iconic stories in the books and in the adaptations. It's a it's a good time, man. Batman's the best. Yeah. One last question, and then we're going to take it home. When you said Hush was written during the Batman run, was Jeff Loeb the writer of Batman at that time, or did he come in just for those 12? He was asked to be the writer of Batman uh, when they were, like, switching switching writers, you know, switching creative teams. Yeah. So they approached him. DC, you know, DC brass higher-ups approached him to be the new writer, the new monthly writer of Batman. And I, I read his little thing at the beginning of the Hush comic. He had to think about it for a while. But like his first question he asked was, who's the artist? Who's yeah. the artist going to be that I'm going to work with? And uh, because the only person he'd worked with previously was Tim Sale on Batman stories. And so that's kind of who he had in mind to be to jump in with him. Yeah. But I guess Tim Sale was busy with some other projects at the time. So they started thinking about it. And I think DC was like, well, what about Jim Lee? And he, and that kind of like blew his mind. He's a, he was a big fan of Jim Lee, what he'd done with X-Men and his image stuff. Uh, And then Jim Lee coming back to DC was like a dream for him to work with. Mm -hmm. So he agreed to, he agreed to it. It's like, yeah, let's do it. And just their first issue was just the first issue of the hush um storyline and i guess they only did 12 the 12 issues together but it was in the monthly book they only did 12 issues and they were supposed to continue working with each other on another story beyond that but it kind of never panned out i don't know if they both got busy with other things or but they did a year of batman comics together which just so happened to be the entire hush storyline so that was their run that was their yeah, yeah yeah i just didn't know if he had a a full run and hush just happened to be like, like we just were reading the Tom King run and he had several different arcs that were in the middle of it. And then, then they did have some guest writers that would come in and do a small little arc in the middle. But I know we had like the war on jokes and riddles. And that was a whole big Tom King arc that he threw right in the middle of his own Batman story. So I was, didn't know if it was something similar to that. No. Yeah. Tom King had his like 85 issues and Scott Snyder had his huge run before that. We're talking recent history, but this Jeff Loeb, this Jeff Loeb run, Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee run was just the 12 issues of hush. And that's all they got. That's all they did. Um, So that's why it's kind of collected in one book just called hush. That's their story. Even though it ran in the Batman monthly comic, it's kind of interesting. And it is interesting. That's why I wanted to ask that. Before we took it home, but I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Raised a Geek podcast. I want to thank you guys for sticking around with us as we talk all about Batman and Resident Evil. A little column A and column B in this one. (laughs) We're all over the place, but uh, definitely make sure you guys do like and subscribe. Follow us. Hit us up on Twitter at Raised a Geek. It helps out the show a lot, and we just want to hang out with you guys. So definitely do that. But until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Don. And thanks for listening to the Raise the Geek podcast, where we all speak geek.